Uh, what? Uh, what? Uh, today, we have Matt Rock. And Matt Rock, he's the best kind of guy. I love talking with him at races, and I love talking to him on this podcast. And Matt is interesting because he came into competitive running in his early to mid thirties and just decided to go after it. And then he started out on the roads and he found himself eventually into OCR where now at the age of 40, he is one of the best competitors in the world. Uh, things on his resume, several podium finishes last year in 2019 and the second place overall in the Spartan mountain series. So Mac has the competitive chops to bang with anybody at the top. So during the episode, we talk about the process of coming in to elite running later in life. He also has four kids and a full-time job. So we talk a lot about the balance of those things and how he's able to stay competitive and, and why it's not only something he enjoys, but also something essential for his, his personal and family life. And also we talk a lot about how the things that he's doing sends a positive message to his kids through training and racing and kind of how to harness that the why underneath the things that he's doing to you know show uh, to be a positive example for for his family. So I, I really love this conversation and I love this guy. Here he is, Matt Rock. We're recording. My friend Matt Rock is here. What's going on, dude? Not too much, man. Good to be here. I think this is the record for the earliest podcast we've ever recorded. It's uh, it's six fifteen your time. Yeah, six fifteen. I was up at five, man. I mean, this is kind of a big deal to me, Rich Ryan, dude. I mean, talking. <laughs> to you, I kind of I kind of feel like it's a race morning. My endorphins are going. Some a big bowel movement goes. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. Didn't, didn't sleep. Yep. Uh, well, I, I think this is, is about as important as a big race. I, I like to hold myself up to that. Right that. So I think, I think, I think that's warranted. Um, but yeah, no, I, that, that's some, that's some man shit right there. Getting up at five and oh, yeah. doing this podcast that early. So, um, I got a dose of Endure Elite down too for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Shouts to Endure Elite. Um, so yeah, I want to dive in, do uh, talk about your background, and give people some insight about who you are, and you know how training with uh, a full time job and a whole family, and how that that really is balancing, and how you're doing so well on the elite level. But first, I have a couple of random questions for you. It's called the rapport round. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. All right, dude, let's do it. So, if you had to eat three like foods or meals, we'll say for the rest of your life, what three would you pick? Oh my goodness, that's Gosh, dude, I love food. I mean, I've had people ask me what I eat, and I just tell them I eat food. Um, <laughs> I would say my go-to is probably a good slow-smoked steak. Okay. My wife and I got a Traeger grill several years ago, and and we we put everything on that grill. I mean, we'll we'll slow smoke a big plate of nachos, chicken pot pie. I mean, you name it. But I would say probably a good seasoned steak. And I, I like to cook it to about medium. You know, it doesn't have to be real runny or juicy, but uh, I like meat. I like carbs. So that probably be my go-to. Throw a few potatoes in there, and I'm good to go, man. Steak and potatoes kind oh, of yeah. guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the uh, And w- do you have like a like a, a preferred butcher that you go to? I haven't – I have never cooked my own meat really. I've just ha- have a grill now, and I haven't gotten into it. And I'm always so worried about getting – like the right cut and just like ruining <laughs> sure. it and just like not knowing what to do. Yep. So do you have a go-to butcher or are you like 
will you just get whatever's available and just do the best you can? You know, well, I grew up uh, hunting, so I do a lot of wild game meat. But uh, as mm. far as my favorite, I would probably say we um, just a nice New York steak or a tri-tip, mm. a ribeye, and a, no, no, no specific butcher. Um, we get a lot of our meat at Costco. Mm. You know, it's, it seems to be a pretty good quality cut. Anytime you go to Costco, kind of a go-to. Um, but yeah, I have heard that. And when you're eating the like the 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 game meat, are you harvesting that yourself, or do they sell a lot of game meat out by your neck of the woods? You know, you really can't buy it. I've 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 heard there's a lot of regulations on that because the you know, what the FDA doesn't do a whole lot of testing on it. There's um you know there's a lot of that chronic wasting disease going on in um, the region, the Northwest region. And um, I just—I don't know what that is. What is that? Well, I think it started in in uh, cattle, and then it moved to bison, or vice versa. Started in bison, went to cattle, and then it started to spread to uh, game. And I think what it is—it's a—it's a disease that um, ends up in their droppings, and it gets out in the field. And when the other animals eat the grass, they acquire this disease. And Mostly they say the meat is harmless to humans if an animal has this chronic wasting disease, but it's kind of a big deal because it's, it's been known to wipe out entire herds mm. of domestic livestock and wild game. And, uh, but they say, you know, if you can get your meat tested and if, if it has the disease, then just make sure to cook it really well. But uh, personally, if I, if I harvested a deer and I knew it had chronic wasting disease, I don't know if I want to bring that into my home yeah um, they're safe yeah at that point. it's supposed to be uh heart or lodged mostly in their brains and some other organs rather than their meat but yeah it's just one of those things that's going on right now um so anyway um yeah i, I harvest all my own and we go in pretty remote regions of the state and, and bring back our own deer and cut them up and how long will that last you will you have that for for the year yeah, you typically when I when I go hunting, I gosh, I would say I harvest anywhere from two to three animals per year, and I, I like to save as much of the animal as I can. I mean, we'll we'll do the heart and the liver, and we'll I'll bring them home and chop them up and freeze little one in, one by one inch cubes, and use those for my dog, and he just mm. loves them. And I throw him frozen treats. I'll thaw them out and give them to him, mix them up in his food, and uh, yeah, you know, with with two, three, four animals. I mean, that'll feed our family for a whole year. And it's not like we're eating it every night. I mean, once a week. That And that's like an amazing use of it and, and a way to go about hunting and having it be, it's completely organic at that point. Sure. You know, it's exactly. as wild as it could be. Yep, yep. And being able to harvest it, like every every last little piece really is, is, a, is a good good bet. And how often will you go hunting then? Like, is that... I mean, I know there are seasons, right? And like, so are you going yep. as much as you can? Or are you going specifically? It's like, if I can get two, then I'm good for the year. Or is it like uh, a mixture of both, like kind of pleasure and for. Yeah, ex- exactly. I mean, I don't need to hunt to provide for the family. I mean, we don't need it. Um, so mostly it's it's just, yeah, kind of a family tradition. I like to get my boys out there and they just love it. I mean, they thrive on these uh, long weekends. We'll go out for three days and, and they just get into it. They get their binoculars out. They get their toy guns. And and now one of my sons, he's old enough to actually hunt next year. So nice. we're going to do that. 
but it's, it's, it's just fun to get out in the middle of nowhere where you don't see anybody. I mean, you get back on some of these rural Montana roads and it's like nothing you've ever seen. I mean, you'll drive for miles and miles without seeing anybody. You know, you still get the old farmer. He'll drive by and lift up a finger to wave. And that's just kind of how it is. <laughs> I don't see it changing soon either. So, um, yeah, it's a lot, lot for the tradition, the fun, the enjoyment, and uh, just the laid back uh, pleasure of it. So, yeah. And is it, do you feel like you, uh, like you catch heat? I mean, in your type of the, in your neck of the woods, I feel like it is something that is just kind of in the culture, right? Do you yeah. feel like yeah. it is something that is controversial in any way? Cause it seems like, it seems maybe just from what I consume on social media that people just sure. want to be so anti like, or, or pro animal one way or the other. Yeah. That it's just like vilified right. more or less. Like, do you feel that? I, I don't, but yeah, it is kind of funny that you say that because you, you, I, I do see a lot of that in the background, nothing really ever aimed at me, but oftentimes it's somebody that's saying, oh, you know, you shouldn't hurt those animals while they're eating a steak or chicken themselves. And I mean, at, at some point, something it's got to be harvested, what, you know, and, and you, you want to do it in a very humane way. And, and I think hunting is one of the most natural ways to harvest an animal and uh, provide for your family. So it's got to be the most humane when you consider, I mean, I don't want to like, I don't know all the ins and outs of how meat and, you know, livestock are raised. And I don't, from what I understand, it's not awesome. Um, right, so right. I, I could imagine just having like harvesting an animal in the wild is going to be as yep. humane as, as anything possible. So, right. right. Yep. But I, I don't personally receive any flack from anybody. I've never heard anything. So, you know, I guess if they wanted to fire some shots, that's fine. <laughs> To bring it. <laughs> I, I, I understand too. I mean, and maybe that's also where I'm at too. You know, I live in a city. It's like you know, East Coast type of sure. bubble thing. So everyone's kind yep. of thinking the same type of thing all the time. Where <laughs> where I buy you, I'm sure it's different. I'll have to come out. I've never, I've actually never Dude. shot a gun. And so if you, if you can take me out, I'll come out. All the binoculars, the toy gun. Me and the boys yep. will hang. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we'd have a blast. That'd be awesome. So. Matt, you're a super humble guy, but like right now, I I want I want you to brag. Like, what is something that you do better than anyone else you know? Well, I I actually wrote a book on my humility, <laughs> humility and how you attain it. No. <laughs> I'm so humble, I can tell you how to be humble. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I mean, I'm you know, I guess I would I would just say instead of humble, um, I'm kind of humbled by that statement because um. You know, just hearing that, I, I sometimes I feel like I'm all about myself. I mean, I think we all kind of have that personal audience syndrome where we think everyone's thinking about you. And uh, but in reality, is anybody sitting there pondering Matt or is sitting there pondering, oh, what's Rich doing right now? And I mean, we're all we all have a tendency to just think about ourselves. And so I'm I'm kind of humbled by the fact that you called me humble. So. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think of myself that way. Um, but I, I suppose, um, I just, I just like to, I like to think about things in a way that I would want others to think about them. Um, I, I like to put the spotlight on somebody else versus me because I know if they've given me a lot more than I feel I've given them. So if there's any way I could give back, it's, uh, maybe switch the spotlight around a little bit. Totally. And I feel that from you. And I think we get along that way because we share that. Like the first time we met, we were like, yeah. we were like, we're friends, right? We're like, yeah, we're friends. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, cool because I feel that with so many people in this sport. I mean, that's one of the things I love about it is 
we're all just kind of the same person, but different mm-hmm. in a way. And, you know, it just, it sparks so many great friendships that, that are instantly there. You don't and have I to think, work at it. Right. And I think it is, I think it's cool that it is across different communities and different people with different upbringings. Like there is that one common thread. And even though it, it manifests itself in endurance, extreme sports like OCR, like there is something within us that like we connect with the other person. It's like, oh, I see, I see you. I see what. Yeah what it is about you that I, I can't connect with, but you didn't answer my question. What is one thing that you have that you do better than anybody else? Oh man. I guess one of my hidden <laughs> kind of one of those obscure alternative talents that my brother and I have always had. We've, we learned to juggle back when we were gosh, 19, 20, 21 years old. And we, we just started juggling and uh, we played hacky sack so what we did was we started to fuse those two things together where we would juggle and we'd pass, um, we'd juggle uh, hacky sacks. And so we'd, we'd sit there and do like three each and then we'd pass them and keep going. And then we'd mix in some hacky sack stalls. And we got to the point where we kind of, we got these nice little five, 10 minute routines going in it. I mean, to us, it looked pretty cool. And so you do a big stall and I, I can, I can stall a hacky sack on the six different faces of my foot. And, uh, back then, I mean, I just worked at it all the time and it was just one of those fun things to do. I mean, it's not like it's going to uh, amount to anything in the future. <laughs> it's just one of those things you're 19 years old. So, oh, this is cool. I saw somebody do it once. So I'm going to get good at this. It's like a, a way to uh, the, the stereotypical slacker at the mall playing yep. hacky sack. It's like, exactly. what are you going to do with your life? Yep. It's like, well, one day I'm going to talk about how I'm awesome at this. Yep. And like how many – like when you juggle, would you and your brother juggle like – would you be able to do back and forth too? Like or would yeah. it always – you could do that? No, we – that's – yeah, we would pass to each other. We'd work out uh, when we'd pass, kind of get into a, a rhythm and a routine. And and we I got to the point where I was able to do those, those uh, foot stalls where you could um, – do a, I think it's called a roundhouse. You'd throw it up and you'd bring it on the top of your foot. And if you got your momentum going just right, you could flick it over the top of your head from behind you. And oh, I got okay. really good at that one. And I'd be able to <laughs> stall it, flick it over my head. Phil would catch it and pass me one at the same time. And we would just keep going that way. <laughs> and, I mean, we'd mix in five or six different uh, types of stalls and passes and uh, we, I mean, it's been years since we've done that and worked on it, but I'm, I'm sure it's probably still there, kind of like riding a bike. But uh, yeah, have you, you performed? Have you guys performed? No, like- no, never in front of any sort of audience. I mean, just kind of uh, we'd show our our family, and, and they'd be like, "Oh, cool, whatever." We'd have our old <laughs> VCR cameras back then. We'd do some videos, and but it's fun. My baby, we. Phil and I played baseball growing up and our baseball coach used to say, quit playing third world games, get over here and work. On baseball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Cause that's, that, that's the only other person I know who can juggle was someone who I play baseball with and it would just, he would just okay. do it. And it was like, I, I yeah. thought it was so cool. I couldn't. And I was, I was like, can I learn how to do that? And then I tried like, I don't think I know how to do this. Yeah. And I just learned the discipline of three, you know, I, I've seen people do five, four, five, six, seven, eight balls and, that blows my mind because I, I've just wrapped my muscle memory around doing three really well. Yeah. But in your case, you, you learned how to bring in your other limbs into the yep. factor yep. to help. So I'm sure you could figure out how to get yep. another ball in your hand yep. or use your foot with it as well. I believe that you could do four or five. Yeah. If I ever had a major running injury, I'd stop that and maybe work on some 
some different balls. <laughs> it's good to have a contingency plan and e- oh, yeah. an exit plan there. Yep. Um, Backup outlet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, cool, man. So you got through the report round. So just tell us a little bit more about who you are as a person, as an athlete, and kind of what you got going on in OCR. Cool, man. Well, gosh, yeah. I, I've never run in high school or college. I was always just in uh, some of, more of the ball sports, and uh, I always enjoyed running. I was always pretty good at it. Um, but, uh, one time my buddy was like, yeah, I guess there's people that do these extremely long distances and they're like, they just run all day and they start and keep running. And, and I heard they'd go up to a hundred miles and I'm like, well, no way. I don't think I'd ever be able to do that. But I, I enjoyed running. So I'd, I'd, I'd start this, um, once a year, there was this race in the Beartooth mountains and they called it the Beartooth run. And basically it's a 10 K on top of uh, a 10,000 foot plateau. Mm. So you're running this entire 10 K in kind of this vortex shaped course where you, you start at the, the base of this uh, big vortex of switchbacks going up each end. And I think you end up climbing up to 11,000 feet. And so oh, in this 10 K you go up one end, and then you come back down and then you go up the other and you come back down and you finish in the bottom of the V and it was brutal. I'm, and so um, I started doing that when I was 19 years old. And when I first started running, I thought it was pretty good. And then uh, I got passed by this lady who had to have been 65, 68 years old. <laughs> and so I'm just getting my ass kicked, 19 years old. And I'm thinking, well, this is, I mean, if I'm getting beat by this lady, basically pat, uh, pushing a shopping cart <laughs> a walker ahead of me. Uh, I don't know if this is for me, um, but it just ticked me off. The fact that I could run a few miles pretty well, but after uh, four, five, six miles, I, I just died off. And so I just started working on it. Hmm. And I would literally train on a treadmill. I, I would run the exact distance of the race uphill on this treadmill, like every day to train. And that's all I would do. For that 10K, you just do 10K every time, yeah. just like set inclined, just do a 10K? Yep, and that's all I knew. I mean, I just – I didn't know periodization, and I've learned a heck of a lot just listening to guys like you and, uh, um, you know, Bracken and Kirk on their podcasts, and stuff like that blows my mind when I hear you guys really dial in numbers mm-hmm. and, you know, d- ways to do uh, periodization, and it's just – it's helped me a ton because I'm just a novice. I mean, I just – like to get out there and, and do it. I feel my body can take, but now it's kind of a game changer knowing there's a, a, a science behind it. So Yeah. And like that, that's a common route. People go, it's like, okay, my race is three miles. I want to be able to run it in eight minutes, uh, eight minutes per mile. I'm going to practice running eight minutes per mile right. for three miles every day. Yeah, and you time. know, <laughs> all the time. And it just gets to a point where, you know, you, you just reach a plateau. You're kind of overtraining at that point. So like your story is, is pretty common among uh, people who do do just kind of start to come into it. But eventually sure. you started to run much longer than that, right? Like, so like, yep. how did you get past the, the, the 10K threshold? Sure. So uh, my brother, um, you know, I, I would say I didn't really start getting competitive in my running until I was probably about 33 years old. Um, hmm. So yeah, we're looking seven years back. Um, me and my brother, we were always the same, me and my twin brother. I mean, we're identical twins. And uh, so he joined a, a signed up for a half marathon and he's telling me about this. I'm like, dang, 13 miles. I don't know if I could do that. 
And so he, he works on it, you know, runs it and does pretty well. I think he won this half marathon in uh, Washington and, and then he signs up for another one a month later and wins it again. And, you know, this happened four or five times. And then he's like, dude, you should do one. <laughs> and so I'm like, all right, I'll see what, what they have here in Billings. And sure enough, I mean, you, you start researching and there's plenty of opportunity to run road races almost anywhere. And, um, uh, so long story short, I signed up for one, I just, you know, trained about the same as I was talking about. I, I would run up to 13.1 miles and call it good. And I ended up doing pretty well. I think I took like second or third hmm. in this half marathon. And, um, gosh, I want to say my time was about you know, 77 minutes, you know? F- so for me, I was, and that's pretty dang good. Definitely. Um, for anybody. I've, I've never been a road racer, never been a good racer on the track. Um, so yeah, great job on that burpee 10k, by the way. I mean, that, that just blew my mind what you guys were doing those in. That was brutal, man. Your time was strong too. I mean, you were what, oh, 50, 52 and change Two something. Yeah. But I mean, just looking what you guys did, I was starting to do the math in my head. I was like, yeah, so Rich would have passed me about seven times. <laughs> <laughs> but what got you on it? Was it the running or was it the burpees? Or yeah, just I like think the, just, the pace I, just wasn't fast enough. I think just keeping I've never been able to keep a good pace in that uh. you know, that could be on 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 track and road. And that that could be just due to lack of coaching. I mean, if somebody were to maybe coach me on on my flat road running, I might improve. Um I feel like I used to be faster. But burpees felt the same all the way through. I felt like I was keeping the same pace and uh, I just kind of settled into the pace where I felt like was my threshold. Mm-hmm. And that's what was weird about it because you didn't want to like push beyond that threshold because you just didn't yeah. know. Like I, right. I was like, uh, I'm not ready to 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 push into any unknown yet because I'm scared I'm going to die. Sure, but, sure. And I'd, could, I'd like to try that one again. You know, I, I think I oh. could shave a couple minutes off of that. So, but yeah, just to do that without motivation, <laughs> it just took so one. long. It was like, oh like, gosh. A really long time to yeah. do, to do yep. something like that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and that could be part of it, right? Like you kind of came into the sport much later. I didn't realize it was you weren't really being competitive until like early 30s. Um. Which is a really cool story in itself because I feel like where people are coming into obstacle course racing is along those same lines, right? It's like right. they've done something their their whole lives, and now they're they're looking for some other type of competitive outlet, and and this just kind of meshes what a lot of people do currently, maybe they did some ball sports, maybe they did some, some gym sure. stuff. And now it's like, okay, let me get into this. And so a lot of times people are running for the first time when they are um, early thirties, mid thirties, yep. early forties. Yep. So like, how did you start to progress and improve like from that moment after you ran that half? So then we went to a full marathon. Hmm. <laughs> Phil's like, I, he's like, I'm going to do a full marathon and he doesn't. So I had to do one and, uh, I've only done one marathon in my life. And I think that's kind of what kickstarted, um, my journey into, um, ultra running. And I wouldn't say it was a huge journey. I think I I, I train on the roads for this run. Me and my buddy were here and we're like, we should do this, uh, run up in big sky, Montana, which is a ski resort. And so this was completely foreign to me having done just road stuff at this point. So we're thinking, oh, this might be kind of fun. We're running through mountains instead of road. And uh, it was called the Rut 50K. I don't know if you've heard of that run. It's been going on for about six years. But it's it's got to be one of the toughest uh, 50Ks in the nation. Um, I think it's on the Sky Running World Series circuit. 
the, the first, well, the first year I did it, uh, Killian Jornet came down mm. and, and oh. he ran it to uh, compete in the Skyrunner series. And it is, it's put on by a couple ultra runners from Montana, Mike Foote and Mike Wolf. And so they're, they're pretty accomplished ultra runners. And uh, so me and my buddy were like, we should try this run. And basically we just trained on road and we, we started to learn a little bit more and uh, we were putting in a little more miles per week. And I, th- I think we'd start to figure out, all right, my body can handle, you know, 65 miles a week. And that might've been around our peak 65 or 70 a week. And then we'd taper back. I mean, we, we started to learn a few things about what we should do training wise and uh, but yeah, so we, we got into this race and it just kicked our ass. I mean, I, I just felt, I felt like I was very fit, probably the most fit I've ever been. And then you uh, look at some of the times of the winners and you're like an hour behind. I <laughs> 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 like killing journey. I mean, looking at him now, it's a, not a, not a huge thing to get that far behind a guy like that. But uh, that's just kind of what kickstarted it and uh, started learning a little more. Um, and then from there, I, I think the, the, so far, the longest run I've done is 52 for a nice. So. And when it comes to like the weekly mileage getting into the 60s and 70s, it's a lot. You know, that's a lot even sure. for uh, someone running at a high level. Like my collegiate program, I don't think I did even much more than that, you know, Division One running program. So like yep. what – and coming from like little experience in, in – endurance training was it just intuitive for you or what was like the hardest part about building that mileage at that point from what you remember and did you just feel confident like this is what i need to do to get better or because i think a lot of times people aren't sure where to balance um the volume versus intensity so do you remember what that was like yeah well i I was able to hand i I just move up in like 10 percent increments and we had a plan drawn out for us uh, my brother and i uh, for a 50k and in a it was kind of a roller coaster of miles for the week. You know, we'd, we'd build up and then drop back and then build back up a little higher, drop back. And then by race week, you'd build up to where, um, you know, your, I think it was like three weeks prior to the race, you'd build up to your highest mileage and then kind of really taper back. So by the time you're ready for the race, your body would actually be expecting something big mm. by the time you're, you're racing. And it, in my early thirties, it actually felt right. You know, back then I I felt like, wow, this is somebody did some thinking behind this plan because my body feels ready to rock. And I've put in a lot of miles, but I I just, I felt my legs and my bone structure just to kind of start to formulate what, what they needed to adapt to, to take on that mileage. And, um, and it worked out pretty good. And now I, I feel as I'm aging, I suppose, um, 40 now um i feel like i do have to dial the volume back quite a bit like i don't don't know if i could do a 60 mile week right now (laughs) at all or i'd have to really take some some time off if if, afterward if i did just from a recovery standpoint like you'll just energy will be low more just what my 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 body structure could handle like physically like like physical pain yeah and what I would say the difference between 30 and 40 is about a week, you know, for as far as recovery. And I, I do feel that I feel like I can still put in those, uh, those hard efforts. I can, I can mm. still perform at a pretty high, high level, but I, I really can't get out back at it two days later. You know, I just need to give myself that time. 
Yeah. And I mean, as long as you're not pushing it, like pushing the pedal each time, that's smart to be able to like listen sure. to yourself. But I, I am, I'm impressed that you just, just kind of work yourself into 60 and 75 mile, 60, 70 mile weeks, just, um, just by like figuring out like, this is what we need to do. Sure. Um, and was that when, when you, when you took that on, was that, in order to be competitive with the field or was that something you felt like you just needed to do to be happy in, in with your efforts and with like your training? Oh, no, I, I mean, I definitely wanted to be competitive. I mean, that's, mm. that's what I, what I kind of got into in, um, competitive running for is it's like, I want, I want to get in there and actually see what I can do with these top runners. And, uh, in, in those local races, I would do relatively well. I mean, I'd, I'd come in typically top three in most of those road races and in my mind, when I signed up for the rut, I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm going to I'm going to kick everyone's ass. I mean, because I, I, I enjoyed running on the hills and the mountains more. So I was thinking this is going to be my thing. And I get out there and I just feel like I get my ass kicked. But but then you, you learn what kind of competition is at a race like that. And you're like, OK, these guys do it for a living. So a lot of these guys aren't even from this country. They came and they flew in for this race. And so it makes you feel a little bit better. But uh yeah, I mean, right away in in your early thirties, I, I felt like I could just take on anything. I, I when I trained for that first marathon, I think I just jumped right into a six week plan and ran six my week. Per- yeah, it was a six week plan, and I, before that, I was just running my you know six point two miles on the treadmill. <laughs> so this gal wrote me up a plan. Uh, this gal that Phil knew in uh, Seattle, she's sponsored by Brooks. She drew me up a plan for six weeks, and I felt like it was enough to work myself into the 26 two distance. And, um, I don't think I could do that right now. <laughs> it takes a little more time. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Six weeks, even then for anybody is oh yeah probably not that probably not enough. But when you would look at the competition this way, would you look at them as runners or were you just looking at them? Like, I don't really care who those people are. I'm, I'm, I'm on that level of an athlete in, in a competitive sense. So like, I need to figure out what I can do to then compete with them. Or how did you look at the competition? Because that yeah. seems like it's something that did drive you. Yeah. It kind of, it kind of started, started like that where I would look at everyone the same and, and just be like, all right, let's see what I can do. Let's, let's see how I fall in, in, in this mix, you know, throw myself in there and see where I land. And then after a while you kind of, you get to the starting line and you look around and you start sizing people up. And so you'd pick out a couple of guys and you'd be like, Oh, he looks like a runner. So I'm yeah. going to try to stick with him or I'm going to, I know who he is because I, you know, a buddy of mine over here said, all right, this guy runs cross country here for the college. So I'm going to see what I can do to keep up with him. So yeah, I would, I would actually pick people out and zero in on them. And, um, you know, I, I think like anyone, I learned what you have to do as far as each distance. So you can't just run out and sprint um, a half marathon or a marathon, you got to pace yourself. And so after a while I started to, to get that down where, um, I, I would actually enjoy the fact that I could toe the line with a bunch of young guys. Mm. And I knew they were going to just fly out ahead of me. And I, I just enjoyed being a rabbit hunter and picking them off one by one. And I, I kind of feel like that's more of my approach in uh, OCR right now is I, I just can't, I can't get out there and just burn the engines hot right away. I have to start off at my pace and it's got to pick up halfway in, into the race when my body's actually 
warmed up and <laughs> seasoned a little bit. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I can start keeping a more consistent pace. And as the race goes on, I feel like I can pick it up a little bit. So and that's probably the better way to do it. It feels like a lot of times in these Spartan races in particular that everybody just goes out hot. And then oh, yeah. wherever you are halfway through, that's just kind of how you finish because yep. everyone is just dead then. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> I, I feel like after about the first mile, you start to land about where you're going to be, you know, give or take a couple mistakes. Right. right. And, and, that, and that's, and I found the same. And that's why it's hard sometimes for me anyway, to, to not go with the front pack or with, or with the people who I want to be sure. with, because like, well, I know from experience that I usually don't pick up space later on. So right. t- d- right. definitely take some discipline on your end to be like, okay, let's, let's chill. I know where my yep. fitness is. I know I can, I know I will get there when it's time. Yep. Um, and did, did ultra just kind of transition fairly, uh, seamlessly into OCR? Like how did that start? Well, yeah. You know, my body type isn't really designed to be a runner. I mean, if you look at my body versus some of those college cross country athletes, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like a muscle lump <laughs> more so than them. And they're tall, skinny, slender. They have this, 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 the ability to just maintain a good pace on that track. And I just felt like it was a a big effort for me to try to do that. And so when I thought about trail running and and running with obstacles, I was thinking, well, that might be a little more up my alley. And uh, so it's funny. um, Got a quick story about how I first started uh, getting into Spartan is my wife and her brother, they wanted to do a Spartan race. And um, they're like, Oh, it's up in big fork, Montana. And at that point I had never heard of Spartan race. I was just into ultras. I was like, well, that might be a fun family trip. I'll go up there. And if I'm going to go up there, I might as well sign up for this race. And, um, so I signed up for the race, you know, long story short, I ended up getting a really bad calf injury that year. This was back in 2016, really bad calf injury. I felt it for like 17 months. Oh my God. And so, um, it, it kind of triggered in that race because I was, it, I had this injury going on and, and it wasn't completely healed. So I, I ended up getting up to big fork, towing the line and getting like 50 yards into the race. And I felt something pop in my calf and I was, I was done for months after that. But uh, anyway, so I'm sitting there at big fork and injured, got ice on my leg, bunch of ibuprofen down and I'm watching this race. And, uh, they had a very, uh, set up very well for spectators on this particular course. I, and I think it was one of those big um, national series races back in mm. Montana in 2016. And I just remember seeing these guys like just bombing through the trees and just, I was, I'm, I'm drooling cause I wanted to be out there running with them and, and doing what they're doing. And uh, I just remember thinking, this looks fun. I got to try this. And so I'm right at the finish line and uh, I'm watching on this, on this last mile or last quarter mile on this course they ended up doing a bucket carry and so we're we're all sitting there at the finish line all these spectators hundreds of us and we're watching these guys bomb down the hill pick up buckets and go up and down and and right on the finish and and so it just looked a lot more fun than a normal road race and uh so i was watching the finish line and all of a sudden there's this group of girls to my left and all of a sudden i hear the, the, this girl holler oh my god and I, I look over in this group of girls jaws just dropped their glasses their sunglasses come up and they're looking up at this hill 
and they're all just drooling at this dude just bombing down the hill. And so I look over and I see, I see him coming down the hill and everyone's just cheering him on. And, uh, I was just like, this is a badass sport. I gotta, I gotta try my hand in this. I gotta heal up. And at that point, um, I was just motivated to heal back up and give this a shot because I was, I knew it was just going to be a lot more suited for my body type and, and what I was able to do. And just your mentality, right? Like you just got there and you knew like, oh, this is like the excitement you feel when you see something that you know you're going to like is like, yeah. it makes it obvious. Like, oh, okay. Like this is where I kind of belong. And sure. if you were there watching a trail race, like you probably would have felt something similar to that, but seeing something new and being like, oh, right. there's some different elements and uh, that I could really sink my teeth into. Yeah. And then, and then from there, I mean, you've made really fantastic progress, like getting, like working your way up through the ranks and you know, we mentioned you got into running a little bit later in life and then, you know, Spartan even a little bit further still. But, and one thing that I am fascinated by you is that like, you do have a family and a full-time job and you're still able to, you know, run with the best. You had several podiums last year. You finished second in the mountain series, right? Like, so like you go after these yep. things and you do really well. So, and, and this is something that I have a hard time relating to people with. And, you know, if there's athletes that coach, that have kids and work full-time jobs. I'm just like, ah, I mean, just kind of sure. do what you just kind of do what you can. Yeah. 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 So like, what, what are some of the biggest challenges for you in your training um, to maintain such a high level of it? And like, how does that affect like your day to day? Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. Like when I started doing more races, um, I was kind of, I would kind of surprise myself where I would come in on these races um, because it is, it's, it's tough to get in the proper amount of miles that you feel like you need to give your body is, is because you're still coming home and you got the rest of the day after work with the kids and you, you, you feel tired and, and drained and you still got to get your run in. And so what I found is, um, I mean, first of all, I think having that outlet and raising a family is essential because I've, I've tried seasons in my life where I'm not doing anything. You know, you just don't have anything extra going for you that where you, you have that outlet. And I've, I, I felt more tired, mm. you know, just drained. And so having this, um, I would come home a lot more energized for my kids because I mean, that's sometimes you get home from a long day of work and the work actually just starts <laughs> when you got four kids saying, daddy, daddy, daddy's home and jumping on your back and Hey dad, can we do this? Can we do that? And you're, you know, unless you have that outlet, I don't think you're going to have the energy to handle that. Also. Uh, I just started getting more of a routine of uh, if, if I'm going to get my workout in, it's got to be in the morning. Got to mm. do that in the morning. And to me, that just kind of kick started the rest of the day. And if, if I didn't get my workout in, I felt drained, exhausted. And so it's, it's kind of like the more, the better, hmm. you know, and it's, it seems counterintuitive, but no, I mean, that's, that's the way it worked. And, um, just, just like you said, I mean, seeing my relative success in the sport, I mean, it's all relative, right? You compare yourself to somebody else and it's like, wow, I suck. <laughs> yeah. You always want, you always want to do better, but like right, right. from the outside, you know, even just, I was looking at your athletes cause I thought you had a bit more of a progression from like working your way up into the ranks and you have had some, but it was more like you were finishing sixth and seventh and now you're finishing like first, second and third. So like there sure. was a little bit of improvement there, but, um, and it takes a little bit more, yeah. but you kind of came in and you were kind of kicking ass right away. Um, 
and it's interesting you said that that um because i have some friends now who are like new dads and they're they kind of echo the same thing they're like nobody likes it when i don't get a chance to run so like this is a different person yeah Yeah. right like that and it's then it changes like the entire dynamic i'm sure as as i would imagine the dynamic has already shifted quite a bit bringing uh, a family in and kids into the into the mix um and part of it is uh I, I kind of see it all as um, what I'm doing with my life. I, I kind of want my kids to see it as a metaphor of what I want them to do in their life. I'm, I'm not saying I want them to do what I do, but mm-hmm. the passion I put into something, I want them to see that I'm just not floating around in life aimlessly, that I, mm-hmm. I have a focus and I have a goal. And when I do have a focus and a goal, I'm, I'm not just going to give it half-assed effort. I'm not just going to say, oh, you know, let's give this a try and see what happens. So like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna grab this thing by the balls and squeeze it as hard as I can and go after it. And you know, I, I don't know what my kids are gonna get into. I mean, right now they're they're not into competitive sports. I mean, that you know, most kids they think running sucks. <laughs> so I'm I'm just showing them whatever you get into, I'm gonna support you and go after it full full force. Don't just don't just be a half ass. Yeah, right. Because that's something that I feel like. I mean, I don't know, but what can I, I? What I would imagine, like from a child's perspective, even if they went to the races, and if you finish, and like if you did say you half-assed it and you finished twentieth, they'd probably still be like, "Wow, what Dad did was sure. great," you know. Right. But but the whole entire package and the whole mindset that you have around it and putting everything forward. I mean, yep. that's also gonna gonna bleed down to them as well. And I hear I hear this quite a bit, like a lot of times when there are parents who are looking to train, you know, the kids come up. It's like, I just, I want to be a good example. I want to be able to yeah. show them what, what healthy lifestyle is. And, and along your lines, like what it's like to actually have focus and dedication towards something. Um, sure. Are you, ver- are you verbalizing this as well? Or are you just kind of living as an example and like make, and like I'm, imagine they're soaking up everything that you're doing. Right. Like, is there a push and pull with that? Or is it like, yeah. how do you kind of approach that? No, there's, it's definitely both. I definitely tell them it's like, Hey guys, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the youngest guy out there, but I'm, I'm, I'll tell you what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to work my ass off and I'm going to get to this race prepared. And I tell them what it means to be prepared. I tell them, I don't just sign up for a race, go through my normal daily routine, routine, show up to the race and see what happens. I mean, they, they know I'm getting up early and, uh, I tell them live, live your life presently. I mean, you're not, Sometimes I think we, we all have this tendency to say, all right, when, when we get there, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. You know, let's, let's, let's just uh, coast until we get there. You know, sometimes we, we're, we're all just like floating around and we have these goals and we think, all right, when we get there, it's going to be good. What if we live our life presently and say, all right, let's, let's actually be great now during the training. And then when we get there, when we actually get to the thing we're working for, it's going to be that much better. And mm-hmm. so I, 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 I definitely verbalize that to them. Like, don't, don't just, don't just look at it and think, oh, that's going to be cool. No, you actually have to work at things to do your best. And sometimes, sometimes people tend to have a natural talent. They don't have to work at something. I, I feel like I do. I, I, I feel like I've always been just like a scrapper. I, I, you know, I, I want to be the best I can at something. And I want, sometimes I just feel like I want to be the best at something. And you know, that if that natural ability isn't there, 
you're going to have to get up early and, and put in the time and, and do the work to actually become the best that you can. And, um, it's been it's been definitely cool to see um, where I've fallen in in the OCR world. I mean, it's it's definitely a time commitment. You know, a lot of a little more travel, mm-hmm. but like you said, I mean, there's there's so many so many positives with that meeting people from out of out of state, out of country, and just the group of friends that we've I've uh, gained from that is phenomenal. And and the one message that it seems that you want to make clear is that the the process, right? And like what yeah. you said about like being mindful. It's like, okay, let's focus on the process to get to where we're going. Right. As opposed to just like the outcome that we're hoping to achieve at, at the end there. And is that something that was instilled in you like at a young age? Or did you come across this from something like an, an endurance sport where the process is so important, like that you will never get the outcome if you don't engage in the process day to day. Um, what's that been like for you? Like, how did you come, come to that realization? Yeah. I mean, it was definitely something that was instilled with me. My, my dad was always one to, to talk about hard work, getting you things. And, um, so when I started doing, uh, endurance running i i just kind of learned that thing for myself you know how sometimes as kids you I mean, you can you can be told something over and over and over and over and it's not really going to uh sink into your head until you live it mm-hmm. like if you ever, don't see ever, it if right. you can't feel it it's like oh, okay whatever yeah like, hard work cool yeah it's kind of it's kind of like uh every generation i feel has to learn things for themselves because i and and i, I feel that as a parent now i mean i can tell my kids things over and over and over and they're going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they don't really get it. You see it gloss over their eyes and they just don't get things until they actually experience that and live that and get to that age. It's kind of like we, we don't really learn from our parents' mistakes. You know, we, we challenge it. We, we see that they make mistakes and they tell them, don't do this or else. But we just continue to challenge it. And, and, and until we actually live that and see the failures and the mistakes, I don't think we're going to uh, actually learn from that. So, yeah, it's it's been one of those things I think I've kind of learned as I've gotten into the sport that you're not going to do you're not going to be your best unless you work at it. And I've been I I do enjoy the process. I mean, it, it sucks getting up early sometimes and and putting in the miles and training and you know riding that razor edge of of overwork versus the right volume. And it's, it's a fun process and it's difficult, but I, I truly enjoy it. Now it's, it's just be kind of come second nature. And yeah. Once it's in the routine of things, it's just yeah, like, yeah. okay, I'm, I'm, this is just how I live. Yeah. Um, I, I get up an hour early so I can do the workout and, and let's, let's do it. <laughs> you can do the workout, you can do a podcast. Um, and it's an interesting thing. And I think that is something that we can all relate to is like, even as I'm sure as some parents and as a, a, a child, like being able to kind of brush off the things that you're telling that your parents are telling you or the things yeah. that you're telling your kids. Are they doing that to you when you're kind of like <laughs> pushing, like when you're like process, like get out here to be the best hard work comes first. Are they like, sure thing, dad, I just saw you like, you just do, you're yeah. just yourself and I see you do so well in these things. Are they like, are they brushing you off? Or are they <laughs> at that age where you can tell that? Or how's that like? Oh, it's, it's funny with, with, with kids. I feel they, they hear you. I mean, that you can you can see it going into their their head, but they just they 
I don't think they quite have the capacity to compute what it means yet. Because, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll tell them, all right, guys, I want you to mow the lawn today. And they, they know they have to. They know there's no way around it. I mean, they're going to have to mow the lawn, but they still throw a huge fit about mowing the lawn. And so yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like it, it, it goes into their head, but until it really gets developed and marinated into their minds, it, it's not going to stick. And I think sometimes that takes years. Mm. I, mean, I look at my life and I remember, you know, I, I was taught certain things and this and that. And I really didn't understand what they were saying until probably into my thirties. Even I, I think I'm still growing up. I kind of, I sometimes still feel like I'm a kid, mm. <laughs> you know, when you hang around uh, older people, I mean, you, just, you still feel like there's a lot of maturity that needs to happen. So I'm and you know, and it's funny because I, I feel like I'm pretty good at observing that. And so when my kids mess up or they're, throwing a fit or whatever, it, it allows me to have a little more grace toward them because I know they're, I know how their brains are working. Mm. So, so um, yeah, I'm being patient with the process with them. Process first. Yep. And, and you're right. Yeah. I feel the same thing. Like if I could go back and know what I knew then, yep. you know, like, it's like the, the trope of what I, if I could tell myself, give myself advice on, on what yep. it means to work hard or what it means to have goals or, or right. how to, get the things that you want in life. It'd be like, Oh, that would have been great to know. Yeah. Way back then. Yeah. But it's, it's yeah. So, so right now I think the best way to do is to show them because like mm. I said, you can tell them over and over and over, but if I'm, if I, if I can just show them and be the example, then I'm not, not a hypocrite. And then at least it's going to sink in late. Even if it takes years and years, at least they're going to see what it's like. Right. For the example. There's there's action that behind yep. it. Right? Yep. It's like this is my message, and here is how I'm presenting myself to the yep. world. Where if it was yep. the opposite, where if you just maybe couldn't prioritize your your training or it wasn't important to you, but you would still be like hard work, this and that, and right. it just didn't ever really show up. I feel like there would be a disconnect from like like again, like you said, I don't think it they would have time to marinate with mm-hmm. the children, but I feel like they would be able to see it and be like there's some kind of bullshit going on here. Yeah. So like yeah. Having the message and having the follow through. Yeah. Crucial. Yep. Yeah. And even if it's a, one specific moment in the future in time, we're like, wow, you know, I guess my dad was right. <laughs> even though I heard him <laughs> say it 40,000 times, I, I guess he really was because now I've experienced um, what it's like to not work at something. And then you see, you see the failure and, so I guess I will have to work at it. So, and you know, he did it. So why can't I? Yeah. And what, what's also interesting is I was just thinking about this when we we're talking is like, if like the, your kids for whatever endeavor they pick up, like if they end up just being talented, whereas on your end yeah. you were, you've you said you're self-proclaimed like a grinder, right? Like you wanted to put sure. your nose down and, and work like then that has to be a hard like lines across too, because I mean, this is, that's what creates the best of the best. I, I mean, I think of like professional yeah. athletes who are the best at their profession. They're the talented who also have that work ethic. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's like hard to kind of connect that. Do you worry about that, that they're just going to be really good at something and they're just like, eh. <laughs> don't have to work at it. Yeah. <laughs> if that's the case, then you just hit the genetic lottery and that's great. <laughs> But, but it might uh, catch up, you know, you might yeah, get to the point yeah. you might get to a certain level and never have that message um, that you're like delivering really right. sink in until it's like. Too yeah, late. And, I, 
I think for a lot of people, it's, it's, it's actually finding that one thing that they want to be passionate about, mm. you know, because obviously not everybody is going to be into obstacle course racing. Um, they're just not genetically wired for that. And so, you know, I, th- I think there's so many people out there, they're just wondering what their thing is. And so that's, you know, as a parent trying to, trying to tell my kids, just do what you want to do. I don't even think sometimes they know what they want to do. You know, it's just having to live life. So at least you're showing them a way, you know, not, yeah. not the thing you're, you're showing them a thing that you can do, not the thing. And, um, you know, like I said, I mean, well, a lot of, you know, a lot of guys that they, they got into this sport later in life in their early mid thirties. And, uh, you just realize, gosh, I love this. It's, it's a fun thing. I mean, I, I know it's not going to be a, a career for me, but as far as just what I'm doing with it now, it's, it's a phenomenal outlet and I enjoy it so much. I'm going to continue doing it. And so if this is my way of showing my kids what it's like to work at something that you love, um, it's perfect. It's a perfect time. And they, they, they see it. They come to the, come to these races and watch and, and, uh, you know, you get to that spectator gauntlet and then you, you see your four kids running down the hill, you know, following you. It's just, I mean, there's nothing greater and yeah, it's just awesome. Just like, that. just like visualizing that and like thinking yep. about it, just like gave me chills. It's like yeah. a big smile on my face gave me chills. That's <laughs> gotta be such a cool thing just to like yep. a reward payoff. Um, and later and you'll yeah. see them pick up sticks and throw them like their spears and <laughs> pick up like big rock and start hauling it up the hill. Go do it again. Just do right. it like better next time. Yep. Um, and that's, so like the way that things have like, kind of come to fruition or manifest in like the thing you're saying, like everybody has their thing, right. And like, whatever it is, and you need to find that and obstacle course racing, it's new. So like, it hasn't always been like your thing, right. Like, and I feel like no matter what someone picks up, there's something like an underlying thing, like that could translate across the board. Right. Like, so you were into, Mm -hmm. you got into competitive running, then like, ultra running and now OCR. So like, yep. what, what would you consider like your thing to be then that you want to per, like kind of present to your kids? It's not mm-hmm. just like the, the end. Cause again, that's kind of outcome, right? Like yeah. my, my thing is X, Y, Z, but I yeah. do it in terms of obstacle course racing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, gosh, that's a difficult question. Cause I, I feel like, you know, looking back on your life in your early twenties, I feel like I've gone through, um, you, you go through a different phase about every, you know, four to five years, uh, back, back when I was 19 to 23, 24, I was really into snowboarding. Mm. And I mean, that was, that was my thing, you know, quote unquote, my thing back then. And so I, I, through my life, I've, I've always been trying to find what my thing is, you know, my outlet. And, um, I always wanted to be really, really good at something. And I, I feel like I was always just riding the line between, uh, being the best and, you know, just, uh, just underneath, you know, what some of these guys that you're seeing on the X games or the Olympics, I was just right underneath where they were. And I don't know if that had to do with it, just uh, basic opportunities, you know, they, that they have versus what I was doing. Um, but yeah, that after you, you get a little older and you just quite can't handle the, uh, huge impact of the jumps <laughs> that you're doing on a snowboard. So you transition into something else. And then, so road running, I suppose, or just getting fit was my thing for another four or five years. And then, 
got into ultra running and uh, now obstacle course running. But yeah, you see like this four to five year increments in your life where your thing kind of changes. So what, what's it going to be next? I don't know. Uh, you know, it's, it's a really good question. What do you think it's, what do you think it is? Cause like, it sounds like you just took your, your focus more or less from snowboarding and then have just moved it into mm-hmm. these different avenues. Like, what is the thing that's underneath that you think? Is it just like the willingness to work to, to be bad and then to then get good? Or is there a part of like all the things that you're doing, they, they have some sort mm-hmm. of physical, like extreme end to it. Um, you know I what think, I mean? I think, yeah, I think with what I've been into, it tends to have somewhat of a physical aspect to it. Um, I think maybe because, I, you know, relative to who I am, I, I guess I'm better at that than, you know, say sitting down and write, writing a uh, philosoph- philosophical book, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, the, the thoughts in my head. I, I, I would tend to maybe uh, reflect more of who, my, who I am through that aspect of my life. And I guess, there's, yeah, that's what, kind of what drives me. But I, I think people are created to do something with their minds. And, and even if it's something physical, you're putting your full mind and emotion into it. And I think without that, I've, I've actually been in seasons of my life where if I'm getting through an injury or whatever, it's kind of a depressing time. You know, when, when you mentally you want to get out there and you you want to work at something you want to work towards something to get better but there's that one little thing that's actually limiting you from doing that mm. and so even if it's like just three four weeks or even just a couple of days where you can't get up in the morning and do something to better yourself toward an end it's it's a very depressing thing and so you you sit back and think well i think humans are actually created to do something (laughs) to be you know to to reflect something great and I I think I think all individuals have that and they have that inner desire to get that to find that and um you that this has been you know the thing that's really helped me is is OCR and athletics um but I think everyone needs to find their thing or that thing that drives them and it's, it's very important I mean do you find that too like, yeah, I relate completely. And the physical aspect is very much something I relate to is like, it, like whatever I'm creating comes from like a physical expression or even at one point, I, 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 I recognized this about myself maybe two or three years ago. And I was like, I, sh- mm-hmm. I want to start something that is not physical. Cause that's kind of yeah. how I'm, I'm drawn to it too. It's like, Oh, maybe I'll start doing jujitsu. It's like, nah, it's physical. Maybe I'll start rock climbing. <laughs> yeah, it's physical. You know, it's like, everything is that. Sure. It's like, and trying to figure out something's like, maybe I'll play piano. I'm just like, nah, sure. <laughs> you yep. know, like, yep. so I, I, I totally, and I like the way you put that. And, and, and I don't know if I've ever thought about it in terms of, of purpose and having something driving, but I do relate heavily when, and I connected to things about, just the feeling of an injury or the feeling of not being able to do something. And mm-hmm. even just like, if I have to take a, if I have to take an unplanned day off or like two days off, like yeah. physically and emotionally, I'm just not right. right. <laughs> and I don't know yeah. if it is just a chemical thing or if it is just a, a, a purpose thing that is making me feel that way. Right. Right. Yep. Hmm. And, so, and right now, I mean, just, you know, having kids, I mean, being a dad right now, I mean, just kind of linking this all together is uh, right now I can I can use what I'm doing to show them as the example, like we talked about. 
but if that is ever to go away, I mean, if I were to ever have a, a season ending or career ending injury, my purpose is still there mm-hmm. for, for them. And I've, I'm going to utilize what I have now to show them how to do it. And, uh, you know, God willing, continue to do it. Um, but it, that's always going to be there, you know, to be, to be a dad. I mean, kids need guidance. It's basically a, <clears throat> a human being popping into the world with a, I guess, uh, lack of better terms and an empty mind blank slate. And you yeah. want to, you want to show them how to fill it. Hmm. So, yeah. And like you said, you had that thing that moves from, from place to place. So like, yeah. that's the thing that you can help fill yeah. that to whatever that, whatever it is that they do, if it is piano, if it is something yeah. else, you yeah. know, and I'm, and I'm really in tune to what they're into right now. I mean, that's one of my focuses as a, as a dad is, is looking at my kids and finding out what they're into so mm-hmm. I can drop little hints of encouragement and say, Hey, I noticed you've been doing this and do you like doing that? And, and just encourage them along the way and, and uh, offer what I can to help them get better and keep totally. following that path. Right. And if that's something you can relate to, that's great. If not, you have that thing that you can, yep. you can help them with. Yep. Um, yep. Cool, man. I know you got to get to work. Um, but just real quick, what are some of the goals that you were thinking for this year? What do you get? What are you doing now? Right now, just kind of keeping myself fit. Uh, like I said, I, I enjoy the process. I mean, I, whether we're racing or not, you know, me and my buddies here in, in town, we get up early and we run. And I'm, I'm still periodizing my, my workout structure like once a week. I'm still getting in a real good hard uh, hill session. Um, I always like keeping up on my core strength. Um, so is, if, if they do a season this year, great. I, I'd like to sneak in a couple races still. I don't know. Have you heard much about what's happening in August? Ugh, dude, I, I can't imagine. It looks like West Virginia, like the, the government there is going to kind of start cracking down. They haven't canceled anything yeah. yet. Um, Utah is kind of the same way it looks like where it's like, mm, this might not work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just keep thinking that like they're on the schedule. Like this is a hard schedule seemed to have come out, but uh, I don't know. Like if, I mean, if I do race, it's going to be Utah probably. Nice. It's being a, it's a driving distance for me. So, I mean, I'll probably do that, bring a few of my kids down and, but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, I'd yeah. love it to happen. I haven't heard anything, but just the feeling that I'm having about just how events are going to be like in Philadelphia, they canceled all public gatherings until February. Everything. Really? Oh man. Everything. Yeah. So like how it's not going to just, there's not going to be one message across the board. I feel like we're not probably going to race until there's a vaccine. Yeah. That's a good thought right there. But who who the heck knows? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Keep fit, keep in shape, just keep doing what we're doing. And I mean, I'm having fun with it. Yeah. Just keep the process going. Yeah. That's how I'm, I've been almost like training harder just cause I'm like, well, it's yeah. cooler. It's cooler to be in shape than to not be in shape. I would rather right. be in shape than not be yep. in shape. So yep. Let's just go pound it. There's no races I, coming. Let's yeah. go hit it. But I, even at 40, I still feel like I'm making gains. I still feel like there's a, there's that, that next workout that's going to really push me over the edge of being great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> saying, Mentor, making, it's still there. It's still yeah, you there. Are, you are making gains, right? Like last year, big season for you. So yep. Yeah, my, um, probably my best season was uh when I was forty. I mean, yeah. it, I can always look back and say that. Hell yeah, so. and that's what a lot of people are, are trying to do. They're not, they're not, they're not capping their their uh, abilities. They just want to yeah. keep pushing. You're you're a shining example of that. So we thank you, man. We appreciate, appreciate that, man. Appreciate and that. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time, getting up early, setting the record for earliest podcast ever. Um, where can people find you? Is there a social or where where can people like yeah. reach out? 
Facebook and Insta, um, uh, Matt Rock Summit on Instagram, and uh, yeah, just Facebook still. And uh, but yeah, reach out. That'd be be awesome to chat with you. Whatever. Uh, cool, man. I'm not. I'm uh, not a big name out there. I only have like four followers, so. <laughs> so, so <laughs> we're willing, willing and ready to chat. Um, well, cool, dude. I appreciate it. Uh, I thought this was great. I'm just gonna press stop and we'll, we'll hang on, but I'll let you go here in a minute. So this is us signing off. We'll talk awesome, to you soon. Man. See you, bud.